Okay, thanks, Tom. Let's pray, shall we? And we'll look at that together. Do keep that reading open, uh, and we'll open it up together in a second. Father, thank you for Jesus, your living word, and thank you for the, the written word that you've given us through him. And we pray that you will give us hearts that are really soft tonight to listen and understand, and give us hearts and wills and lives that are responsive to, to Jesus, the light of the world. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, the world-famous physicist Stephen Hawking died a couple of weeks ago, leaving a legacy of courage facing long-term illness um, and very complex scientific theory as well. Uh, the comedian, entertainer Ken Dodd died last week as well. Um, and those kind of older generations like mine remember um, his kind of uh, very popular old-style stand-up comedy. You see, people are usually remembered, aren't they? We all are, for what we do and achieve in our life. Um, and not really for our death. Even, for instance, President Kennedy, when he was assassinated in the 60s about 50 years ago, um, his death is remembered. He was shot in Dallas um, for the way it happened, for the surprise it was, for the conspiracy theories around it, but not for the impact that his death had, for the deeper meaning that his death may have had. Uh, but if you pick up a gospel and read it, you'll find that for all of the gospel writers, the death of Jesus is different. The death of Jesus is in many ways the most important part of his life, ironically, and it's also important because of the impact it has, the effect it has on the whole world, as we're going to see in tonight's reading. And Jesus here very helpfully unpacks that for us, explains for us what's going to happen with his death and why his death matters to us. So we're at this kind of crunch moment now in John's Gospel. Jesus is turning attention very much now to the next few days of his life and his death that's going to happen just a few days after. Now, Jesus is, is heading towards crucifixion for one reason being that he has really wound up the authorities amongst the Jewish leaders. He's been claiming to be God's son, doing miracles, uh, raising people from the dead, and they are living with him, and they want him dead. That's very clear. And so we get to this moment now, this is perhaps the end of Palm Sunday. We don't quite know at what point he uh, had this conversation but some people come on the scene that we haven't seen before in John's Gospel. They're called the Greeks here. Um, so the Greeks have arrived. Um, that simply means that they're probably Gentiles, but they've come, as John says, to worship at the feast, the Passover feast that all of the Jewish people have gathered for in Jerusalem. Uh, so they are uh, they're interested in, in God, as we put it, in the scriptures, but they're outsiders to God's covenant love. They're not in the covenant yet. Maybe they've heard what Jesus has been seeing and doing. Maybe they were there Palm Sunday as Jesus rode in on the donkey and the crowds were cheering and uh, announcing him as God's saving king. And they, they thought, goodness me, who is this person? We'd better go and find him. And so they come up, and if you look down at um, verse 21, with a great question. They come to a couple of the disciples and they say, we want to see Jesus. So they are the kind of archetypal model seekers for us and there are people many around today that are similar that, that if they just have the opportunity to express it to us want to see Jesus want to find him 
And Jesus turns this, this question, this moment, into a chance to explain, not just to them, but actually it seems to the whole crowd listening, in three ways, how important his death is going to be. He chooses not to really uh, explain who he is now, he's done that, but why he's going to die. And uh, the passage does just break down to three short sections. I'll give them, give them titles. So we're going to look first at Jesus' life gives life. That's verses 23 to 26, if you're taking notes. And then Jesus' death gives freedom. That's verses 27 to 33. And those are the two big uh, points. We'll spend a bit of time on those. His death gives freedom, 27 to 33. And then the last little section, Jesus' light gives light. So, the first one, Jesus' life gives life. See the, the, the timing note there. Um, now is the hour, the time, for the Son of Man to be glorified. If you've read John's Gospel before, you'll know this is a bit of a theme of John's. Each time in the past, people have tried to push Jesus forward into the public eye. He has said, now is not the time like a kind of parent saying, now is really not the time to talk about this. Now is not the hour, but that time will come. And now he's saying, suddenly for the first time, it's now. Being glorified, uh, we could just think of this as it means to be made famous. It's not been the time for me to be famous yet, but now the time has come. Um, But in John's Gospel, it especially refers to Jesus in his resurrection, being raised up to glory and returning to heaven, um, so glorified supremely at the Father's side, but it especially means on the cross, as we'll see. He's glorified in his sacrifice and holiness and love as we see it on the cross. So, Jesus explains how his death and resurrection will glorify him in the three sentences that he follows with. So verse 24, this is how his life gives life. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground, he says, and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. It's great to see Nigel here, our our local farmer. Um, This is true, isn't it? If you don't plant a seed, if you put it on on the shelf of your kitchen, it's not going to produce beans. You've got to put it in the ground. A seed has to, as Jesus says, go in the ground and die in order for its life-giving power that's hidden within it to generate new life. That's what Jesus thinks. It's a great simple picture. Unless Jesus dies, he's saying, he can't give you and me life. He has to die to do it. The world will remain in sin and death unless he dies. But if he dies... Through his death, like a seed in the earth, the life of God that's um, hidden in Jesus will be released to be shared with us. So life from life. Jesus' life gives life. 25. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, but anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is strong language, isn't it? Hating your life. What can that mean? Well, it's very easy to love things in this life. And some things we love are good things. You know, loving people, um, loving God, those are good things to love. But loving things that are unhealthy, that draw us away from Jesus, 
That's not healthy. That's what Jesus is talking about. Um, so, Jesus says that pattern of him laying down his life in order to receive new life and give new life, that's got to be our pattern too. We've got to die to things in this life in order to experience new life and give new life to others. Hate your life in this life to gain it for eternity. So he doesn't mean, does he, you know, you've got to hate a warm bed. A warm bed is a good thing, especially in the rectory on those snowy weekends. Um, you know, a, a good meal, a fantastic rugby game. It, it, we're allowed to love things in this life, but just not things, you know, um, unnecessary entanglements, commitments, relationships, habits that draw us away from, we know what they are, don't we? Draw us away from Jesus. You've got to lay down to take up. Jim Elliot was a missionary who took the gospel uh, back in the early 1950s to a group of unreached South American Indians in Ecuador. Um, and unexpectedly, because of a, a, a lie told against the missionaries by someone there, um, a team went back in 1956, and he with others was martyred by those Indians. Um, but of course, the gospel got through. And in, in years to come, they became Christians. He famously wrote a few years early, before his martyrdom, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. No fool to give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. It's just what Jesus is saying, isn't it? You've got to hate stuff in this life in order to gain life for eternity. Third sentence. Similar point, 26. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, and he means there um, at the cross, as well as in resurrection, where I am, my servant will be also. My father will honor, there's the promise, will honor the one who serves me. So I should measure the success of my life um, not by uh, the size of my bank balance, the number of social media friends and followers and likes I have, but by the number of ways I've found to serve Jesus. Isn't that great? So simple. And the promise is that those that serve Jesus, the Father will honor. Now, in the Old Testament, the only people that honored are um, the kings, the messiahs, the, the ones that, that, that God says, that's my one. So it's basically, it's Jesus, the Messiah, who's honored. And here's Jesus saying, if you serve me, the Father that honors me will also honor you. Great promise. So it's very tempting, isn't it, in our culture, I think, to, to listen to the message that life is all about self-fulfillment. Be yourself, um, live out your instincts, do the kind of things that you feel you're just made to do, whatever that might be, and you'll then be happy and fulfilled and, and satisfied. That's what life is about. And that is a lie, isn't it? If you look at what Jesus says. He says, life comes, yes, from the life of Jesus laid down for us, but life therefore also comes from laying down your life for him. Life comes from life. So I wonder if tonight, as we share the bread and wine of communion in a few minutes' time, you and I just need to stop and thank Jesus for laying down his life for us. 
for being that seed that chose to fall into the ground and die so that it could multiply life for many of us here tonight and for billions of people through history. Or maybe just to prayerfully consider as we offer ourselves in in response to him and say, look, your life was laid down for others. I lay down my life to serve you that others, through me, might find life too. What would that look like for you to serve him? So that's our first big point. Here's the second big point, that death, Jesus' death, gives freedom. Even Jesus uh, is clearly facing the impending sacrifice he's going to make with a certain amount of trepidation. You know, he prays, Father, um, save me from this hour. He at least considers praying that in some way. Um, but, but it's very clear his only desire, whatever the, the turmoil inside, is that the Father, his Father, should be glorified. Father, um, glorify your name, he says. And that, he says, is the number one reason that he is going to die so that the Father may be glorified through his death and resurrection, through the world seeing what God's doing in Jesus' death. But he actually then gives three other reasons. Um, Maybe they're lesser in a sense, but they're pretty big reasons why Jesus dies. Um, So, verses 31 and 32. The first one is, he dies to judge the world. See that verse 31? So that the world may be judged through his death. It's very ironic that the Jewish leaders thought that in having Jesus crucified, they were judging him. They judged him and they found him guilty and they had him executed. But actually, Jesus says all the time in his death, God is judging the world. The shoe is on the other foot. The cross of Christ looks foolish to us, doesn't it? It looks foolish to the world. How can that be the center of history? How can it be the the way that God is turning the world upside down and saving it? But it is. It looks foolish. And in doing so, it judges our capacity to know what's foolish and what isn't. Because it's actually the wisest thing in history. God is turning the world upside down, using what looks foolish to save the world. Judging our sin by killing his own son. The cross also shows how all of us have committed treason, as it were, in our own hearts. We've kind of put Jesus on the cross and said, like they did, I don't want him. I want to live my, live my life my way and shut Jesus out. And the cross says, God knew that we did that. God still loves us. And he's used that rejection of him to bring us back, to save us, to atone for us in his genius and wisdom. Judging Jesus in our place. So, judging the world, first thing. Secondly, it's also to banish Satan. The prince of this world, he says, will be driven out through his death. Far from being a moment of tragedy, of defeat, the cross is a victory. Jesus is releasing us from the power of evil, from Satan, and our bondage to him. Of course, it's true that uh, there's still plenty of evil alive and active in the world today. People letting off bombs, tyrannizing others, and so on. Satan's still got, you know, he's got his fingers on the strings of power in places and the hearts of leaders and so on. Um, but his end is now certain. 
His kingdom is, is being evicted by the kingdom of Christ. It's rather like that, the 1944 D-Day landings, where um, from the moment the, the Allied forces made it onto the beaches safely and, and had that foothold, um, historians say it, it was pretty clear the war was effectively over. Uh, and, and the tanks, okay, they had to kind of roll the German army back and push them back across the Rhine and so on. But that was the moment that really the victory was won. And it's similar with the cross. That's the moment the victory is won. Evil's defeated now. It's lost its hold on us. He dies to set us free to banish Satan. Thirdly, he dies to open the way to God. Verse 32, if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. As John explains in the next verse, he's, he's using this phrase of lifting up to demonstrate how he's going to die, raised up on a cross. And here's Jesus saying, I've come not just for my own people, the Jews, those we've seen in John, many of them were responding to him in faith. But I've come for the world, for, like these Greeks have just arrived looking for me. So that whoever looks at me when I'm lifted up on the cross and sees God's glory there, sees God's wisdom in the apparent folly of it, they will be saved. He opens up the way to God by dying on the cross. He's, he's therefore on the cross. He's not a, a, a typical leader as, as we think of a leader. He's no kind of Julius Caesar, increasingly taking hold of power for himself. He's no, who do we say here, Trump or Putin or insert your own kind of leader that you think of. Jesus rules from the cross. He reigns from his place of apparent weakness. Extraordinary. So again tonight, if you have not thanked him recently for what he has done for you and me and for his people then tonight will be a great night to do so. And again, Jesus came, as he says, as he's lifted up on the cross, and we'll remember that through the, the wine that pictures his blood. He says, I came to draw all people, people from everywhere, to myself. If you're here tonight and you're on the edge, a bit like the Greeks maybe, kind of looking in, then reflect deeply. Read what Jesus says about how he's dying for us, to bring us back, to set us free, to forgive our sins, and ask him to show himself to you too. Jesus' life gives life, his death gives freedom, and lastly, briefly, his light gives light. Here's Jesus claiming to be God's son, and yet talking now about dying on the cross, and some of the people in the, in the crowd that, that know the scripture say, hang on, that can't be right. How can the Messiah die? Because the Bible says he lives forever. And they're right. There are places in, in like the Psalms that say that. God's king, his Messiah, will reign forever. Now Jesus could have said, well, of course the answer is the resurrection, dummies. I'll die, but God will raise me again. But he doesn't. He actually doesn't answer that question. He goes really for the jugular here. He turns it back on them and he says, look, uh, in a nutshell, time's running out for you guys. Look, it says, verse 35, you are not going to have the light, me, much longer. You know, the, the light is fading. The darkness is coming. Don't let the darkness overtake you. Trust in the light while it's still here. And he's talking, isn't he, with urgency to the people that he knows. He's only got, what, five more days 
to speak with them, for them to listen to him. And in fact, it almost seems that this is the moment that for the Jewish leaders, he, he, he gives up on them. And he just goes off and spends the last days with his disciples. As if, for them, the light's gone. Too late. It's quite sobering, isn't it, here, that Jesus is, is warning that we don't have forever to keep judging him and criticizing him and trying to prove or disprove that he's right or wrong. The light, he says, will not be here forever. The time is running out. And that darkness, it's a very powerful picture. If you've been out um, in a Norfolk lane on a dark night, there just aren't no streetlights for miles. Uh, There may be no starlight either, no moonlight, because it's probably cloudy. And it's pitch black. And you can't see, can you? Jesus says, you can't see the way in front of you. And he says, don't let your eternity, your spiritual life, become like that. There's light right now. For us tonight, we're here, the Bible's open, Jesus is speaking to us, light is here, but don't assume that light will always be here. And receive the light, he says, before darkness comes. Because 36 is his final challenge. It's a challenge and a promise, actually. Believe in the light while you have time, while it's with you. That's the challenge, isn't it? Someone here tonight, believe in the light, and believe in the Bible never means intellectually only, always means commitment, personal trust. Trust in Jesus, the light, while you see him. And then the promise, that you may become children of light. And that future tense, uh, make us realize, not just that we'll have light in this life, but in eternity, we become children of light through his resurrection. Life by his life, freedom by his death, light by his light. And so, for us tonight, as I kind of draw this together, I wonder who you are in the crowd. As Jesus looked around that crowd there, he saw people there, he saw the Greeks, didn't he, who were intrigued, um, didn't know very much about him yet, but very eager to find him. And we want to see Jesus. Is that you, maybe? Or perhaps you're like the, uh, the Jewish leaders, and saying, well, actually, I don't believe a word of this. This man is dangerous. Uh, it's all wrong. He's misleading people. He's got to die. And you'd rather just shut him out. Or maybe you're just like the crowd there, um, wanting Jesus to prove himself to you in some way, but in danger of procrastinating, putting it off until it's too late. So why not, if that's you, any of those of you, check out Jesus for yourself more tonight. Um, We've got some copies of John's Gospel there um, on the resources table. Just pick up one of those as a gift from us if that would help you, you haven't got a Bible at home, to go and read this book in which Jesus the light shines for us today. And if you are a follower of Jesus here already and a child of light, set free by him, walking with him, Let's pray for someone tonight, shall we, before we finish this service. Let's just pause, as you have an opportunity to pause, and pray for someone that you'd love to see them understand that Jesus died for them too. You'd love to see them have life through his life and freedom through his death and light through his light. And uh, that's why we're going to be praying for people at our prayer focus this week as well. So at the cross of Christ, Jesus sets us free by his death Um, He sends us, though, from there, almost like seeds, aren't we? Propelled by 
him the first, the great seed, to scatter the life of God amongst all he sends us to. What might this church look like, this city look like, if God were to make all of us into men and women who leave behind what we cannot keep to gain what we cannot lose? What could God do through us then? Or if we began to exchange this world's honour for the honour the, the Father gives to those who serve his Son, if we lift up the cross ourselves so that all may see and be drawn to him and trust in the light until the day we become children of light. Let's pray for a moment. Pray for someone perhaps we know that um, is, a moment, is at the moment lost and needs God to shine light in Christ upon them. We may not feel we know the answer or how to help them find Christ. But may he be lifted up before them in his cross and his risen power and draw them to himself. And we pray with thanksgiving to Lord Jesus for what you have given, laying down your life that you might take it up again and give that life to others, to us. May the words we've heard tonight and the signs we see in the bread and wine fill us afresh with your risen life and with the power of your cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.